This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 158, Anna McNuff, Biking Through Europe, Guided Totally by Social Networking Votes. you got to hear this one. Hi friends, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We are now down to the wire. This Friday night, we are meeting with you at Mudrocks Cafe in Louisville, Colorado. Peter Schuster is going to be there to talk to us about through hiking the Continental Divide Trail. Proceeds go to benefit the Continental Divide Trail. It's going to be a lot of fun. Not only do you get to hear about through hiking the Continental Divide Trail, but we also are going to have a raffle there, and included in the price of admission is an entry into the raffle as well as your first drink. But this raffle has a lot of really cool gear from our sponsors. We have Bent Gate Mountaineering represented as well as Siowai and others. So this is going to be a fun-filled evening, and I personally am really happy that I get to meet some of you, the listeners, and connect. How do you get there? Well, you need to RSVP. Please go to our website, adventuresportspodcast.com, and on the right-hand side at the top, there is a button there that allows you to RSVP for the event, and like we said, seating is limited. There are a few seats left, so you can still get in, but you need to RSVP as soon as possible because those seats are going away fast. If you are not in Colorado, then you can still hear the presentation by Peter Schuster. We're going to live stream the event. So this Friday night, starting at 6 o'clock Mountain Daylight Time, there will be instructions on our site there how to watch the event live from anywhere on the planet. Looking forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome again to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I have a returning guest for us today. I'm really excited. One of my favorite interviews ever was with Anna McNuff. You may recall back in episode 110, and if you haven't heard it, go listen to it because it's awesome. Anna McNuff is the lady who ran the length of New Zealand, both islands, unsupported. She also biked all 50 U.S. states, unsupported. She is the daughter of Olympians, grew up in London, England. And she recently moved west of London into the hill country. And Anna is here to tell us about her latest adventure and about adventuring in general. So, Anna, welcome back to the program. Hello, it's great to be back. Thank you. Oh, you bet. Anna, I always love talking to you because of your enthusiasm and because of all the things that you do. Catch us up a little bit on recent events. You said that you moved from London for the first time and now you're west of London somewhere. What's that about? Um, it was just this kind of feeling that I kept going off on all these adventures and then I'd come back to London, which is my home. Um, but I would be incredibly unadventurous in, in London in my time in between adventures. And I just thought I need to try and, all right, perhaps it's laziness, but I need to try and make it easier for myself to actually uh, enjoy and live the adventurous lifestyle that I, that I love so much. And so, um, yeah, I've made a move about 120 miles out of London, um, to an area called Gloucestershire. And uh, yeah, there's loads of hills and mud and it's windy and rainy and it's just I can literally run out my door and be on a muddy trail in five or ten minutes. Um, So I'm enjoying it so far. Oh, that's great. How long have you been there? Um, I've been here for three weeks at the moment. 
three weeks so you're just three getting weeks. started yeah i'm fresh and it's um it's really funny because cer- certain things you know not everything's open all the time whereas when you live in london everything's open all the time but everything's half the price as well it's brilliant <laughs> that helps yeah that's great <laughs> You know, I like to bring in that little bit of international perspective. I just looked at the stats before our call, Anna, because I was curious. The uh, Adventure Sports Podcast is now being listened to in 184 out of 196 countries around the globe. Whoa, that is amazing. Yeah, so I was really excited about that, but it made me realize we better make sure that we keep um, an international perspective. So I'm glad that I'm oh, interviewing yeah. you in the yeah. UK instead of here in Colorado. Brilliant. Good. I'm helping with the international vibe. I love it. <laughs> Good. Well, Anna, on your last show, we talked quite a bit about your run uh, through both islands of New Zealand, which was just amazing. And then we also spent a fair amount of time talking about biking through the U.S. states. And those are, yeah. like I said, listeners, if you haven't heard it, episode 110. But you've recently done another adventure, and I'm going to hold off explaining what that was for just a minute. I want to ask you this. Why so many adventures? What's the point? Oh, it's a big world out there, Kurt. And it's, um, I, I guess it's a, it's a problem. I have a wanderlust for sure. And I think anyone out there who, who has that feeling of wanderlust, it is a real, um, urge and you can't fight it. You know, there's just this feeling. There's so much to learn, so much to see, so many people to meet. And then for me, adventures, they sort of scratch that itch. But then also is that opportunity to challenge yourself, to push yourself way beyond a place where you're comfortable and to learn something and to come back and have grown in some way. Um, And then in turn, to share those stories with other people in the hope that they do the same. So I guess the short answer is it's addictive. Adventure is like a drug (laughs) to me. Well, you have a, a really great website, com. That's A-N-N-A-M-C-N-U-F-F.com. And I just wanted to tell people that while you're listening to the show, not while driving, but if you are at your <laughs> laptop, look at the pictures because you can see what Anna's been up to. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, keep it safe, kids. No, no check-in <laughs> of the internet while you're driving. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about your most recent adventure, and you're calling this one Beyond My Back Gate. So this was pretty yes. original. Tell us tell us the objective, <laughs> why you decided to do it, and then we'll dive into what it was like. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that it, you think it's original. I thought it was quite original. Um, it came from a, f- a few thoughts. I, I, I always think, when I think of adventures, I think back to my childhood. And when I was a kid, I used to play in my granddad's back garden. And then the best times are when he would literally open his back gate and we would go out there into what I remember to be this massive jungle. And it was so exciting. And so I started thinking about, oh, you know, what what's beyond our back gates? And at the same time, I started thinking about the fact that um, I hadn't explored much of Europe. And so I was starting to think, well, I'd quite like to do an adventure in Europe. And then when I thought about what kind of adventure to do, I thought, well, after New Zealand, I don't really feel like I had anything to prove to myself physically. I feel like I'd pushed myself so far to my physical limit that I thought I don't, you know, I've explored my physical limits for the time being anyway, at least. What I really wanted to explore was actually what goes on in my brain and the way I see the world, because we all have this certain lens we put on the world. And I thought, well, I love to plan. So what happens if I go on an adventure that I completely haven't planned? 
And so that was the idea. The idea was, why don't I go and explore Europe, but with an adventure where I don't know where I'm going. And actually, the people of social media dictate where I go day by day. And I start by leaving out of my back gate, just like I did when I was a kid. <laughs> okay. So explain how this works. You head out the back <laughs> gate and you got to go yeah. left or right. Basically, I start... so. Um, Two days before I left, I threw up a post on Facebook and a poll on Twitter. And I said, right, on, on Monday morning, I'm leaving my back garden. With, I don't actually have a back gate. I had to climb over the back fence, but it was all good fun. Um, I'm leaving my back garden with nothing but a backpack and a biffy bag um, for one month. And I have three ferry ports that I can walk to. Which of these UK ferry ports do I start walking to? And so over the weekend, people voted. And come Monday morning, I totted up the votes and um, off I went and I ended up going to a place called Harwich, uh, which takes you on a ferry to Holland. And then, yeah, once I got to Holland, it was a case of, right, well, where do I go now? I'm in Holland. Three options. And that carried on for the whole month. Every two days, I'd ask a question. So were you biking, walking, hiking, hitchhiking? Interesting. Interesting, because I learned something very, it was actually quite emotional. First of all, I'd never started an adventure where I'd walked away from my home. There is something psychologically very tricky about leaving on this adventure, which is completely unplanned, unstructured. You have no end goal. And yet you're walking away from something that's very easy and comfortable. And in the first two days, I basically had a bit of a meltdown. I was thinking, what am I doing? You know, I, I could get a train, just go back home now and stop this nonsense. And the other thing was that I thought walking would be this wonderfully spiritual, calming experience and I'd have loads of brain space, uh, which the truth was I did have lots of brain space. But walking down dual carriageways because your your route is being dictated by others was absolutely just rubbish. And so two days in, I was faced with this decision where I thought the whole point of this adventure is for me to enjoy every single day and just to focus on one day at a time. And I'm not enjoying it. So I thought I've got to switch something. I've got to change it up. So um, that's where I thought, I know, how about I get on my bike? And so I called my mate and they brought my bike to me and I spent the rest of the month on my bike. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> so I switched it up. But that was a lesson in itself because it was a case of, if you don't like something, stop, have a think and change it. You know, I could have plowed on saying, oh, well, I, you know, I said I was going to walk, so I'm going to walk. But I didn't. I switched it up instead and it was a great idea. We have interviewed people that have walked around the planet, Anna, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And we've also interviewed people who have biked 60,000 plus miles, and that's the preferred method of travel. And I think each has an advantage. But yeah. what you were saying is that because you weren't choosing your route, you felt maybe unsafe and overwhelmed by the walking. Yeah, and it would just take, you know, I'd be stuck on these dual carriageways, like, you know, kind of semi-interstates, and it would take me ages to get across them. And I think it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't the right pace for the for the point I, I was at, you know, in, in my mental state. I wanted more input. I wanted, I craved the speed, basically. I was just missing um, missing the speed. So I think you're right. I think it's very individual and I would definitely do a walking journey at some point, but perhaps on a trail in some wilderness, um, not down, not down dual carriageways because the tarmac's pretty hard on your feet as well. Then you ended up biking and tell us what the route ended up being. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, it ended up being, so I went from London to Harwich, got the, an overnight ferry over to Holland, which is brilliant because they wake you up at half six in the morning by playing, don't worry, be happy. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, and then I got off the ferry. I went all the way across the Netherlands into Germany, uh, down the Rhine River until I hit Switzerland. And they went, then I went across Switzerland to Lake Constance. So basically the, the whole width of Switzerland 
then back on myself and then down through France and I finished up in Marseille. I was trying to write down the route as we were seeing it, and you're too fast for me. But I got Netherlands, Germany, down the Rhine, across Switzerland, yes. France. Yeah, so four countries, basically. Well, you know, UK, UK, then Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, France. So I kind of yeah did a neat little loop from London down to the Mediterranean Sea, basically, but via a couple of other countries. So you said that you're a planner, and so part of this adventure yeah. was to go against your basic nature and not plan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right? And then you said a couple yeah. days in, you were feeling like, what am I doing? You think that was part of the dynamic there? Oh, completely. It was so uncomfortable. I can't express how uncomfortable it was to have not had in place, you know, a set a set goal or, um, or, or just an idea of where I was going to be staying in a week's time. And I... And it's not that I don't like to roll with it. That's what adventures are all about. Things go wrong. But I realised that a lot of the joy for me in adventures actually is the planning part. The adventure starts when I start looking at that map. And um, so, yeah, I felt like I'd been robbed of a bit of joy, really, without being able to plan. Um, and so it was very, very uncomfortable for the first two weeks. And then I settled into a, I settled into a bit of a rhythm and it was much easier. What did you learn from that? Um, I learned, I learned you can't change yourself because what I actually ended up doing was instead of planning, you know, months or weeks in advance, I got into a two day planning cycle where I did all the same processes that I would have done normally. I just squashed them into two days. Um, so I knew when I was going to, you know, post a, a vote and then I knew that that meant that I could then contact the next host two days ahead rather than two months ahead. Um, and I got to the end and I actually thought, you know what, you, you can't change the way you are. And and for me, I love to plan. I, I just absolutely, it's part of me. It's part of the way I enjoy adventuring. Um, but I did learn that you can force yourself to look at things in a different way. And I guess it did, it did um, make me reconsider some of my anxieties about worrying whether things are going to work out or not. When the fact is, when you don't plan, everything always just works out anyway. Um, but it's about what's d doing what you feel comfortable with and what you enjoy. <laughs> I love this discussion, and it, it resonates with me personally, and I'm going to tell a story here in just a minute. That you'll see why. But a lot of the people we interview, some say, just go. Just get up yeah. and go. It'll work yeah. out. And other people yeah. talk about, man, the joy's in the planning. I spent a year getting ready for this trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's two different personality types entirely, and I think you're right. It's it kind is. of the core. I I think the only bad thing about planning is if the planning leads to too much procrastination and you don't actually go. Like, you know, my plans are I'm planning and I'm going to go. I think so many people get so het up on the planning that they don't go. That's that's why it gets a bad rep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna, my wife's name is Anne. Yeah. <laughs> and when we were dating and engaged, um, we were working really hard to plan our wedding. And yeah. it fell on me then to plan the honeymoon trip. Oh, my. And so we decided that we would go to Germany and we would get a URL pass and travel around Germany and Austria and different places. And and so for me, that meant I bought the URL pass, or pass and the airplane tickets and we yeah. were done. Yep. That was Brilliant. my planning. Now, <laughs> it's a very simple plan. Yeah, Good. it was a great plan, I thought. And <laughs> my wife, on the other hand, uh, is like you. I don't know if it's because of the name. <laughs> And, yeah, obviously. Or anyway, we we you know we landed in uh, in Frankfurt, and I said, well, I was thinking maybe we would jump on the train and head toward Mainz, unless you want to go somewhere else. Yeah. And she looks at me, and says, so where are we staying tonight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was no. like, I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get there. 
<laughs> so it it was a really interesting honeymoon. We were in Europe for three weeks, and it was the first time I realized how important planning was to her and how yeah. spontaneous I was in comparison, and yeah. that that was um, going to be a dynamic for our whole marriage. And we've learned to accommodate each other, but we actually... <laughs> We traveled yeah. some of the same places that you went on oh, this trip. So we went to awesome. some of the same places. We went up and down the Rhine and yep. had a delightful time. So this is kind of a flashback for me. Oh, good. It's an amazing country, Germany. I just, I never really spent any time there before and I loved it. Oh, it's delightful. It, it's a, it really is so rich with history and architecture and uh, just a beautiful landscape, the Black Forest. And then, of course, you know, dropping down into the Alps in yeah. in Austria and, and what have you. We had a great time. It was delightful. Oh, and so many bakeries. I just ate so many baked goods in Germany. It was incredible. Sure. So do you think <laughs> that the voters who directed your path, yeah. do you think they did a good job? Oh, they did an amazing job. And you know what was wonderful? It's just like you've said, this is like a flashback for you. I found with every vote, everyone would throw their memories into the pot. It was like a Harry Potter kind of pen <laughs> You know, they would they would say, oh, you've got to go. One of, you know, one of the options was Vienna. Oh, you've got to go to Vienna because duh, duh, duh. And they'd bring in, they'd like screen grab their family albums from like years back of them at some ball in Vienna and post it on my Facebook. And so everyone was having these conversations without me almost about where the best place was to go and why and their memories of it. And it was just brilliant to see, you know, they, they were actually getting joy out of remembering their own good times in those countries. That's fun. So really good. tell us about a specific place that you visited that you probably never even would have thought of and how it impacted you. Uh, the Black Forest, I think, was probably the most special place because um, the Rhine, the Rhine, I mean, you've been down it. It was it was mixed in that it's very industrial in the north, which I didn't realise. And then you get to those beautiful castles and all of those sort of Disneyland-esque things that you read about. And but Rudisheim then the Black and Bacharach. Oh, just amazing. Just there was this car, it's like castles everywhere. It's just insane. Um, but then the Black Forest to me was just so surprising in terms of it was such a change in scenery and it happened so quickly or so it felt like, you know, within a day I was literally in these wooded pathways, just it felt like miles from anywhere in these tiny little towns um, and just just really nice, just beautiful, serene landscapes and bits of snow. And I actually I had to turn back. I couldn't I couldn't make one of my destinations, which was the source of the Danube, because the snow was too heavy. Uh, so there's this crazy video of me getting just absolutely piled on with snow, apologizing to everyone because I'm going to have to turn back. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the Black Forest. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. 
With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Action cameras evolved quickly and are no longer just for recording your adventures. The new SIOI Iris 4G shares experiences as they happen. The connected camera is built specifically for action sports. It's rugged, wearable, and goes places you won't take your smartphone. The best part? Broadcast from the great outdoors with a simple touch. Your friends can watch live or come back for an instant replay. No downloads, no editing, now that's progress. Visit SIOEYE.com and share your next adventure live. So it was pushing the season a little bit, as we say over here. What yeah, were the dates yeah. of the trip? Oh, uh, yeah. So I went February 16th to March the 12th. And um, it was purely because I had a, a gap between two speaking engagements back in the UK. And I spotted the gap a few months out. And I thought, right, I'm going to keep that gap because I'm getting really adventure itchy. Um, I can't yet go on a, another big adventure. But I'm going to. F- and that's where it was like, right, well, I've got this month. Um, so it was pushing the seasons. But at the same time, I could have been sent south, you know, straight down to the Med, straight down to almost Morocco. And it would have been toasty warm. But it was just that I happened to go east and slightly, slightly north at points. So <laughs> that's fun. So where were you at the end of February? Uh, the end of February, I was um, where I was actually probably smack bang in the middle of Germany, I would say. Yeah, on the slightly to the west hand side, but on on the Rhine. Um, but I was starting to enter the Black Forest at that point, so that's where uh, I mean it was only eight hundred meters, um, which isn't particularly high, but but the the snow was coming down at that level. So yeah, I was I was pushing the season. But they also did say to me they were having a very cold snap, which I always feel very special when that happens when I'm there. You know, well, special weather. Yeah, our trip was believe it or not about the same dates, February eighteenth is when we started, or that's when we were married. We started on the 19th, but we were there during the same season. So I have a real good feel for what it would have been like weather-wise. Ah, okay, cool. Yep, and I was curious, did you experience foshing there? What's that? What did I experience? <laughs> foshing. It, I didn't know if it would be in the area where you were, but it's a, a local festival where they no. chase away the, the dark spirits of winter by beating each other with twigs and dressing up in rags. And it's very interesting. No, I feel like I've missed out. No, I didn't. <laughs> well, that was just kind of a fun thought. I thought, well, maybe you experienced that too, since you were in the Black Forest around that time. I'm not sure the areas where it's yeah. observed. So I think the spirits were chasing me, unfortunately, the winter spirits they were chasing me. Yeah, they turned you around for yeah. sure. <laughs> so what about the rest of the route then? More details. Oh, um, yeah. So I followed I followed a lot of rivers, which was great because um, I was partly trying to stay low because of the the snow and the weather up in the hills. Um, But it also meant 
their bike paths in first of all the netherlands the bike ways are just insane it's like a red carpet is rolled out for you across the country you know cars are secondary to bikes in the netherlands and that was just phenomenal to see because it's so close to the uk and yet in the uk you always we're, we're doing better but you're always fighting for space on on the road with the cars um so the netherlands was fantastic for that and then the bicycle route again alongside the rhine river all the way down through germany was fantastic there's always an easy you can find your way very easily on it and it's nicely graded and um and then the same through switzerland actually um the uh, the france was probably a bit more like the uk patches of bike path alongside the rhone and um and then bits of road sections but for the most part it was amazing so when you got to the south of france did the weather change quite a bit oh yeah although it was a bit bonkers because i thought right this is it from geneva i left geneva and i was like great i'm now heading south and i had to get over a few few mini mini mountains to make it to the rhone river valley and i thought i was out of out of the woods there i thought brilliant and then as i left geneva it started snowing so i thought oh gosh i was sort of a week to go at this point and um and then actually the next three days i had some rather crazy storms one storm that completely just blew up the rhone valley right towards me that was just cold rain which i think is worse than snow um but then in the last two and a half days the sun came out i was in shorts and t-shirt and it was just bananas like it was just so much yeah so much easier traveling um in those kind of weather and i had a tailwind as well all the way down for the last two and a half days and so it was just gorgeous well, tell us about a challenging moment on the trip. I know that there had to be times when you said, ugh. What was a really challenging moment? Um, I, it was probably just the really long days. And <laughs> I feel like I'm getting like old and wise in my adventure ways where I've started to realize that I actually like to take longer to do things. I like to stop and I like to have time to, you know, have a coffee in town and practice my terrible German and that, for me, becomes so much more part of the adventure than just making the miles. So, you know, in a, when I was doing the 50 states trip, I was bashing out on average 75 miles a day. And on this trip, I was trying to get closer to about 60 miles a day, like 100 kilometers. Um, and there were some days where just because of because I was trying to arrange hosts and people to stay with, the distances were pushing me up over 80 miles, which is fine. But it just means you've got to spend the whole whole day on the bike and there were some times where you just leave and it would be a headwind and, and you could hardly move. And they, those were the times where I was thinking, what am I doing? And on one of those particular really long days, because I was struggling so much, I hadn't bothered to eat and I just completely bonked. And um, and I found myself 20 minutes later outside of this big supermarket that I'd been cycling for an hour and a half to get to. And I sat down and I have never eaten so much in my life. It was disgusting. I like, ate a whole block of cheese like all these apricot pastries, a huge baguette, big bottle of strawberry milkshake. Um, those were probably the, yeah, the, the long days <laughs> and the times when I didn't eat, which was silly. Wow. So did you have your gear with you on panniers at this point or were you like shipping yeah. it ahead? How did that work? No, no, I carried it all the whole way. And I carried, I thought I was going to camp. Um, so I had my bivy bag, you know, I had my bivy bag and my jet boil and everything else with me um, so that I could. I was completely self-sufficient because that's the way I really like it. But actually out of 20 not. 28 nights away I spent 24 of them being hosted by strangers um which to me was just phenomenal I can't believe at late notice how people just opened their doors to me and just took me in and fed me and introduced me to their grandma and 
rode with me. It was brilliant. So how did you find people that were going to host you? Um, sometimes through Facebook. So because because the more Facebook followers you get, then it ends up a friend of a friend of a friend. And someone would just a bizarre coincidence. They would say, oh, my gosh, you're you know, you're heading to this town that's only 10 miles from me. Like if you want somewhere to stay. And I'd, of course, say, yeah, I'm going to I'll cycle another 10 miles to come and meet you. Cool Facebook person. Um and so that would happen a, a, a little bit. And then the other thing I used was Warm Showers, which I'm a huge fan of, which is um, a, a cycle touring website where if you're a cycle tourist, um, you host cycle tourists and they host you for free. So a bit like couch surfing. So it's called Warm Showers and you do that. Warm- it's warmshowers.com or? Uh, it's .org. .org. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's started by an American, actually, who lives in Arkansas, uh, who I've stayed with when I was on my US trip. Him, him and his mate set it up, and it's now got 70, 77,000 users around the globe. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, it's amazing. And the, the best thing is, it's not about, for me anyway, it's not about the free hosting. I mean, that's wonderful. But it's about the fact that you enter into this person's house at, say, five or six in the evening, and you sit down and you share stories with them, and they get out their books about when they cycled, you know, around this part of the country or that part. And, and you just exchange a love of adventure, and um, and then you pedal off the next morning, and you basically sort of exchanged just adventure lives. It's great. It seems that the people connections are the best part of travel for me. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. That That's, you know, a, a country to me is just a, it's, it's just a mass of land until you put the people in it. And that's really where you get the richness of it, I think. Mm. Well, tell us about someone that was very memorable that you met along the way. Um, it was probably this little family that, li- well, they weren't little, but they were a small family unit and they just moved up into the hills, um, not too far from the Alps, actually. And it took me two hours. I came off route to ride to them um, because they were the only host in the area on that warm showers website. And I cycled up to them and it was just crazy. They had a little there was a couple and they had a little son called Colin. And um, he was just so cute because even though we had no language commonality, you know, I was speaking in broken French and he was sort of speaking at me in bits of French and English. Um, we just played together and, and I really enjoyed that. And also I was so much less nervous speaking French to a three-year-old than I was trying to speak to his parents. <laughs> but but that was one of the families where I just walked in the door and it was like I'd known them the whole life, my whole life. It was just, it was so easy and comfortable. And that was just someone that I thought, I'm so pleased I went and rode up this hill, you know, for two hours, which actually I quite enjoyed. But I just thought they're they're definitely some friends for life. And I really hope that they're going to come to London and that when Colin's a bit older, I can show him the sights of the city and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that's a really special, special memory. And especially when you've been away from your own family for a little bit, it's nice to be in a family environment where there's that kind of warm, warm feeling to it. Now, in retrospect, was it a good idea? Would you do it again? Or or would you choose another way to do this? (laughs) I wouldn't do it again. No, it was a fantastic idea, though. I learned so much. I met so many amazing people. I got to actually see Europe, which is just ridiculous as a as a British citizen. that I haven't explored, you know, even scratched the surface of of Europe. Um, I think it was definitely a fantastic idea. I, I wouldn't do it again. I'm a planner. I love to plan. I'm getting my maps out and I'm making spreadsheets. And this, yeah, it's, it's all planning from, from here on in. <laughs> so speaking of planning, you mentioned yes. that you're headed to South America next. What's that about? Yes. Well, it's very much work in progress. Um, but the idea is um, to go the length of South America. It'll take me about six months, I think. 
And I'm planning to do it with a friend, which is brilliant. It's the first time I'll actually be doing a big adventure um, with another person. Um, And we're going to do it on something called a kick bike, which is like if you imagine the little scooters that kids have, uh, the micro scooters, it's an adult's version of that with big wheels. So there's no chains or anything, no pedals. You just um, scoot along. Um, And yeah, that's the plan. So a kick bike is a room for panniers and gear? Just about, yeah. So that's what we're working through at the moment because you have to go very light. You obviously you can have a bar bag and you can have a front pannier and a, and a rear pannier. And I have seen, I found some videos, some really funny videos online um, of people actually going with them fully, fully loaded, really heavily loaded. But I think we'd be trying to go pretty light. So basically, the the amount of kit I took to New Zealand in my backpack. I would be trying to get that on the kick bike. And the other option is a trailer, but that gets a bit more tricky. So we're just working through that at the moment. But it's absolutely bonkers, but um, I think it's possible. So that's a, that's a good kind of fine line between bonkers and possible, if you ask me. <laughs> it sounds like a ton of fun. And you know what? <laughs> Being on something like that, the local yeah. people will say, we've not seen that before. This is exactly my point. People say, why don't you just cycle it? And I say, I know I could cycle it and I'm sure I'd have a wonderful time. and I'm sure it'd be challenging. But I think if you rock up into a town on a giant scooter, people are going to go, what on earth is that? And they want to talk to you. And the other thing is for, for kids, you know, I'm all about trying to talk to kids about adventures and get them inspired to get out there. And I think certainly in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the US, but the kids all have these scooters. They go to school on them. They understand it as a mode of transport. And so I think if you supersize that and you say to them, I went, you know, the length of South America or spent six months journeying around South America on something you go to school on, basically, you know, that to them is, is I think, so much more tangible. Oh, yeah. When we interviewed you before, you mentioned that in your running trip across New Zealand, you would phone ahead to communities and set up opportunities to speak in the schools to the kids. Yes. Yeah. So I'll be doing the same thing again. So I, I, I had a bit of a block at one point where I came up with the idea for this journey. And then I thought, that's great, but it's not where's the kind of the more element in it, you know, where's that doing a bit more good for the world. And then I thought international schools, um, there's there's loads of international schools. So it doesn't matter that my Spanish is terrible. I can actually go into those schools and arrange and do the same thing and speak to the kids um, and, and yeah, do the same the same model basically all over again. So you do motivational speaking and you've been doing this in schools. Do you do it to uh, adult organizations as well? Yep, I definitely do the grown-up kids, yep. And um, I find them equally rewarding, actually. The kids... The kids are brilliant because they're they're so they're at such an impressionable age that they especially the younger ones they truly think anything's possible but it's really satisfying if you can get an, an adult to look at something in a different way um so I really enjoy doing the businesses and and festivals as well will you give us just a, a snippet just a little piece of of how a talk might go to kids or to adults what's the point of the discussion <laughs> Well, they're slightly different. For kids, um, it's all about, you know, getting outside of their comfort zones. And I show them that diagram, which is the tiny little comfort zone and then that big bit outside where the magic happens. Right. And I try, I talk to them about what their individual passions are. So I'll get a class to put their hands up and tell me how they would spend a spare hour of their time if I gave it to them. And what that shows them or what I hope it shows them is that within a class of 30 kids, you're going to have almost, you know, 25 different answers and that that individuality is what makes you who you are and it's something to be embraced and held on to and don't take that for granted so um that's that's what I tend to do with the kids um and I've just started doing workshops as well so we go into a room and I say to them right you've woken up 
You, you've gone downstairs in your house. There's no one in there. There's a credit card with no limit on it on the table. What are you going to do? And that just gets their brains like poof, exploded. Um, and then for adults, it's a lot about, um, I did a TEDx talk recently, which was about, it was called, But What If I Fail? And it was about how we have this fear of failure and it gets to the point where we don't even start on things. You know, a bit like I said on the last interview about my New Zealand run, I didn't actually think I could do it. I wasn't sure, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start. So that's what my, my talks for adults tend to focus on is just having the confidence and the courage just to give it a crack, just get out there. Because at the end of the day, you know, a life is, is to be lived and embraced every opportunity so they're my messages well i think you're a great example of that i noticed on your website you mentioned that you recently received an award for one of the top female adventurers on the planet what was that about Oh, that's the Guardian. Yes, one of our actually one of our very well respected um, national newspapers. Yeah, they put me in a top ten. They the cup um, last year. They did a, a list of the top ten female adventurers from kind of the years gone by, and then they've just refreshed it and done a top ten um, female adventurers of the current time. And they they very kindly yeah, included me in it, which was very flattering. Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit of an honor, really. Well, congratulations! I, I love you. what you're doing and the example that you're setting and the inspiration that you are to people. So, what inspires you and keeps you going? This is a an energy intensive lifestyle you have. Oh, it is, and it's full of ups and downs. And you know, don't get me wrong. Honestly, I have my days where I think, "What am I doing?" You know, it be it would be easy to go back to to a life I once knew, where there's a a steady paycheck and a and a comfortable you know, you know what to expect from life. But um, that, and in turn, that's what keeps me going is there's always surprises. There's always things around the corner. There's always points you get to in your life where if you remember to stop and look back, you go, man, did I think this would be happening a year ago? No way. And this is so freaking cool. And, um, and I just, I just get to do, I'm so lucky. I, I fill my days with things that I'm hugely passionate about. And in turn, that seems to have an effect on other people and then they get passionate and then they inspire me. And, um, yeah, that's, I guess it's the potential for more. There's always potential for, for growth and learning. And that's what, that's what keeps me going. Well, what advice do you have for our listeners? There are so many out there who are thinking, wow, I don't know how she pulls all this off, but I got to try something like this. How do they transition <laughs> from the status quo to an adventure-focused lifestyle? I would, first of all, well, I would identify what your biggest barriers are. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure for most people, they're going to be time and, and money. Um, my, my ride through, through Europe for a month, in the whole month, I spent £462, which is probably, what's that in dollars, uh, a bit less than double, so maybe $700 that right yeah yeah about that so that was the whole month of living um and that was a month-long adventure filled with stories and tales that i'm going to tell my grandkids so when you're actually on the adventure it really doesn't cost that much money so i don't think money needs to be a barrier it just it's just something you need to think about perhaps saving up a little bit um and the other thing is time there's there's so many ways to have adventures whether they're weekend adventures or um or just trying to negotiate a little bit of extra leave, maybe. I know that's not possible for some people, but they don't have to be big adventures. But I think the thing is, is just to look at what the barriers are. Be really honest with yourself. What is it that's actually stopping you going? And just find a way to remove them. And it's it sounds simple, but they're, they're, there's always a way to remove that barrier. It just takes a decision in one direction or the other. 
And we all know it's easier to come up with an excuse why not to do something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then it is. I'm to good just at those. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's actually the scariest moment when you go, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually I'm out of excuses. Uh, I've got to go. I've got, uh, uh, okay, right. Uh, that's frightening." Um, but yeah, I would I would just just remove the barriers because you know you, yeah you've only got one life. You don't want to get to the end of it and realize that you, you told yourself a lot of excuses, really. Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180tack.com to find your next camp stove. How about this? I would like to hear one highlight from the New Zealand trip and one highlight from the the biking the fifty states trip. Oh, the highlight from the New Zealand trip um, is probably running along. Yeah, there's this ridge line at the top of the South Island. Running along that at seventeen hundred meters up, being absolutely petrified one minute and completely elated the next. And I'm looking out on mountains upon mountains, poking through the clouds. And I can see the Tasman Bay to my left and I'm completely alone and the wind's like blowing. And um, I've just felt ecstatic. And I thought, it doesn't matter that I'm, a pet- I'm petrified. You know, this is this is real living. And then from the from the US ride, I would have to say my biggest highlight was probably the way I finished it, which was um, I rode up Mount Haleakala on Maui. I cycled up that with my dad, which goes from sea level to 10,000 feet in one go. And um, just spending, you know, hours and hours in the saddle next to my dad, who'd flown out to meet me, um, along with my mum, who was in the support car. That, to me, was just a really special experience. So those are my two highlights. You also are a big proponent of doing micro-adventures. Yes. And so you like to do smaller things and try to get other people involved in that. Give us a rundown of what a micro-adventure is. So it's pioneered by this guy called Alistair Humphreys. And uh, the idea is if you're in a Monday to Friday, nine to five, that there's all of those hours when you finish, you finish your job at five o'clock before you have to be back at your desk at nine o'clock the next morning and that you should use those hours to go adventuring. And so um, I started it with a group in London and we set, um, we set a challenge for six weeks. Originally, we were going to spend every single Wednesday night. We would leave our desks at five o'clock. We'd get a train for an hour out of London. We'd sleep on a hilltop, we'd chat, we'd eat a picnic, watch the sun go down, and then we'd be back at our desks for nine o'clock the next morning. And we ended up carrying on for 25 consecutive weeks. Every single Wednesday night, we went out to the hills and we, different groups of people, sometimes up to 20 people, sometimes there were five of us, but we just explored all these pockets around a city and and just looked at it in a different way. They were so beautiful. You know, you don't need to go far to find beauty at all. Um, and so it also feels like you just had this weekend in the middle of your week. It's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> I have to tell you a, a really fun coincidence since I have you here. Yeah. 
Um, the way I met you, Anna, was through Alistair. Yay! I heard about his uh, micro-adventures, and I emailed him and said, would you like to be on the show? And he was booked, and he said, you know what? you got to get Anna on, so that's why I contacted <laughs> you. And it's fun you just brought him up, because I have to tell you what happened two weeks ago. Yeah. My son was home from college, and one of the things he wanted to do was go spelunking in a cave. And awesome. so he knew of a cave that's in a canyon about 20 miles south of where we are in the mountains. But we yeah. didn't know how to find the cave. So I went on the internet and I typed, you know, the, the cave in Clear Creek Canyon. And I found directions to the cave, how to find it, written by none other but Alistair. Yay! <laughs> I remember him posting about this now. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing is he lives where you are, not where I am. Yeah, how does I he know about my cave? <laughs> I seem to remember he was on some kind of like trip to promote a film or something and he'd snuck off. And you made a little film about it, I think, as well. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> love it. I love it. I just, I was really surprised. It was just a funny turn of events. It's a small world, I'm telling you. It is. It is. It is a small world. And the the other side of that is that for all the listeners, if you want to go running to this small cave, um, it's closed right now because the whole area now is closed to protect raptors during the nesting season. Oh, right. So we had That's a good. beautiful hike on the canyon walls, but we were not able to hike anywhere near the cave. So yeah. we had a great adventure anyway, and it was a micro-adventure, just like you're talking about. Amazing. Well, how do your activities benefit others? I know that what you're doing as a motivational speaker and all these adventures and everything, what's the goal for the planet or for individuals? <laughs> oh, that's a broad one. What's the, what's the plan to take over the world? Um <laughs> You know what? For me, it's just that we're all so individual, whether you're an adult, a child, whether you've found the thing that you love or, or not. You know, we've all got something about us that makes us that makes us special. And that regardless of how much money you've got, how much time you've got, once you connect and find that thing, I think there's nothing that can touch you. So what I'm trying to do is just trying to help people have the confidence to seek that thing out, whatever it is. And I, and I say thing because for me, it's adventure and travel and, you know, pushing all my comfort zones and all this jazz. But for some other people, it might be a, a passion for ancient Chinese history or whatever, you know, but whatever it is or music or art. I've got a friend who um, who's an adventurer, but she's a, she's a creative adventurer in that she now travels the world and she does sketches of all the places uh, she she visits and she turns them into books. And that's her combining her her two passions. So she's really started to find her thing, but it took her ages to to start to even move towards it. So that's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to show people, you know, as an example of. It doesn't always work out. I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing most of the time, but actually all I'm doing is blindly going in search of something that makes me happy and moving away from the things that don't fulfill and satisfy me. You know, the Adventure Sports Podcast logo says, enlarge your life. Yeah, love and it. That's what it's about. And <laughs> it it, is. I'll bet you're the same way I am. I think back over the last year or the last 20 years, it doesn't matter, but I think back over the last year, and I think, what did I do this year? And I remember climbing snowmass with my kids or yeah. climbing Parnassus or some of the epic ski days that we had in the Colorado yeah. Rockies here. And then I think, what else did I do? Well, I went to work. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's the stuff you remember, isn't it, when you're, when you're really old and the stories you want to tell your grandkids. And can you imagine a world full of people doing what, you know, what, what lights them up? I just think that's a, that's a better world to me. So I'm all for it. I love it. Very cool. Very cool indeed. 
Well, you told us a very funny story about the New Zealand trip. We'll we'll let people go back to episode 110 to hear that one. But can you come up with another funny story for us from other adventures? Oh, gosh. That's, oh, any more funny stories? Um... Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. I really put you on. I got. I got. Oh no! Do you know what I got? Did I tell? Did I tell you about the time I got asked on a date in the middle of the Nevada desert? No. That was pretty epic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I was just cycling down this road, and um, I pulled over at the side of the road just to have just to have some kind of skittles and a little bit of sugar. I was sort of you know getting low on energy, and I was about ten miles from where I was going to finish. And literally, there'd been no cars passing me. This was you know in the um, in the, the Great Basin, basically. So there's nothing there. And then this one car comes past me, um, facing me, towards me, goes past me and sort of, you know, I waved because it's the only person I'd seen that day. And then I pulled over and did my bit of the side of the road, was eating. And the car, like, turns around and comes screeching up behind me. And he was very polite. And he came over and said, oh, you, are you okay, miss? Do you need any help? And I said, oh, no, I'm fine, thanks. You know, I'm just having a bit of a meal. And we had a little bit of a chat. And then he basically said, well, where are you going? I said, well, you know, the next town, which there's nothing in the next town really anyway. And um, and then he said, well, can I take you to dinner? And he was a lawyer from New York on some kind of um, escape to the to the, to the the open spaces. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I was just a bit taken aback. And I was... I, my my response was probably not not the best for his ego. I just went, "Oh no, I'm I'm fine, thanks." But what I meant to say was, "Thank you very much. That's very nice of you, but um, <laughs> I'll have to politely decline." But I just thought it was hilarious. I thought, you know, he turned his car around and, and I looked at myself. You know, I'm in my lycra with holes in it. I've got sweat stains all over me. I'm absolutely disgusting. I haven't showered in days, and I still get asked on a date. I thought, still got it. You know, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a the desert date. A desert date, yeah. I was kind of thinking that maybe he'd set up a little candlelight dinner, you know, in the middle of the desert or something. But yeah, I had to decline, sadly. Very nice chap. Well, remember, it's all about the people connections you make along the way. It is, and that was one. <laughs> <laughs> one you had to say no to. Yeah. Well, maybe he's out there listening to the show right now, and he heard your proper response, and he probably feels better. <laughs> Oh, good. I hope he does. I think we left as friends, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Anna, we're running out of time. Again, I'll bet we could go on for hours, but <laughs> I love hearing your stories. I love what you're doing. How can people reach you? Uh, through my website, which is com, And then you can also find me on Facebook if you search Anna McNuff Adventures or on Twitter at Anna McNuff as well. I just have to say that you embody the message of the Adventure Sports Podcast. I really believe that. And it's one of the reasons why I love having you on the show. And listeners out there, get in touch with Anna, follow what she's doing, get inspired, and go do something fun, meet people along the way. It's it's a beautiful world. Go experience it. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Don't forget, April 22nd, for the Adventure Sports Podcast Meetup with Peter Schuster, Louisville, Colorado. See you there.
Thank mm-hmm. you.